from Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25, if you would like to read. This is how the birth of, the, of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The, lo- the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Rachel, and good evening. My name is Paul, if I haven't met you. Uh, I have been a Christian for 32 years, and the impact that Jesus had on my life. Um, I think there's two words. The word is peace. Uh, peace in all the, the chaos and all the storms and all the good times. There's peace uh, that's found in Christ. And the other one is purpose. Uh, the choices I make, uh, the paths I walk down, uh, the things that I choose to do uh, is because of my relationship with Christ. I have the uh, privilege tonight of giving three short talks as we uh, think back to Christmas through the eyes of the, the wise men or the magi. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, On coming to the house, they, the Magi, saw the child, that's Jesus, with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of of gold and frankincense and myrrh. It must have been a very strange sight. These grown men on their knees before a child. These, these leaders, these learned people, these significant, successful people, and they're, they're bowing down before a baby, and they're worshipping him. Uh, that, that word worship in the verse, it's, it's a strange word. It's, it's about your heart. It's about a heart of adoration for Jesus, a heart of humility, a, a heart of surrendering to Jesus. They, they worshipped him. And we know the story so well. We sing the carol every year. We three kings of Orient are. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but it's not technically correct. They're not kings. They're magi. Uh, They're wise men. They're philosophers. They're astrologers. They're astronomers. Uh, And we don't know how many magi there were just because there were three gifts That doesn't mean there were just three magi. There could have been many, many magi. Uh, We don't know their names. So Caspia from Persia and Melchior from Babylon and Baltazar from Arabia, that's just made up. That's just fiction. Uh, We don't know when these magi arrived. Uh, We do know it wasn't immediately after Jesus was born because Mary and Joseph are now in a house. Uh, It's probably Jesus is about two years old by this point. So you know those nativity scenes where you get the 
the shepherds bumping into the wise men, that that's just made up nonsense. We don't know where they come from. They're from the east, so they could be from Saudi Arabia, they could be from Iran, we just don't know. We don't know much about this star. It's not like Google Maps where it just pinpoints the exact place where Jesus is. There's so much we don't know about these magi, but there's lots that we do know. We know they're foreigners, they're not Israelites, they are not yet God's people. And we know, verse 11, that they come and they saw the child, that is Jesus. He's just a child. He has, he has no crown on his head. He has no glow of glory from his face. He, he probably hasn't spoken any words yet. He's done no miracles yet. But they worship him. And, and they bring in these three gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. It's not a cuddly toy and a scooter and a soccer ball. It's gold and frankincense and myrrh. Let's unpack this first gift, gold. Gold for a king. Gold for a king. Uh, gold is the most precious metal. It's rare. It's expensive. It's long-lasting. You, you use gold to make all kinds of things. You know, jewelry, uh, rings and earrings and chains. But you use gold to make a crown. I'm so looking forward to next May when Charles will be crowned king. <laughs> or that pomp, or that ceremony, and you have a, a massive crown, and it would be gold, a bit, bit more substantial than this thing here. I've done kids' talks all day, so I thought I'd use props again at 7 p.m. So this is saying Jesus is king. Jesus is king. You know, gold is throughout the whole Bible. So in King Solomon, his, his throne was just overlaid with gold, and in the... In the tabernacle, uh, he had gold everywhere because gold is for the king. And the Magi ask, where is the one born to be king? That's an ouch moment for King Herod because Herod is king and they're asking, where's the king? It's King Jesus. This little baby, he may not have been born into a golden crib with royal nurses, but he had no palace to grow up in, but he is king. Matthew 27, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus said, I am. John 12, on Palm Sunday, when he's riding into Jerusalem on that donkey, and they're waving those palm branches, they're saying, Hosanna, blessed be the king. When he's crucified, that the sign over his head reads, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Revelation 19, king of kings and lord of lords. That, that, that's what this gold means, that Jesus is king. What does a king do? A king rules, a king reigns, a king has power, a king has authority, a king has the right to make decisions. That is Jesus. We're about to sing these lines. Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again. King forever ceasing, never over us all to reign. That extraordinary was over us to reign, over you to reign, over me to reign. That's the reality of Christmas, that God stepped into the world to be your king, to be my king, to rule and reign over us. 
a bit stupid wearing a, a crown in public, isn't it? Except you're going to do that next Saturday. You'll all sit around your Christmas dinner tables wearing these stupid little pathetic <laughs> crowns like this. And admit it, you look stupid. But it's indicative, actually, because we all think that we're in charge and we all think that we're the boss and we all think that we are powerful and we all think that we run our own lives. And Christmas reminds you that you're not in charge. You don't know everything. You're not the boss. You're not the ruler because Jesus is king. Elvis Presley was right when he said, I am not the king. Jesus Christ is my king. That's interesting. Jesus Christ is my king, says Elvis. Do you say that? That Jesus Christ is king of your life. So what he says you should do, you do. What he wants for your life is always good. You let him be king and you submit yourself to him and you obey him and you trust him as king. Now, now King Jesus doesn't want any gifts from you. you know, a king's got everything he ever needed. I mean, actually, Jesus made everything, so it all belongs to him anyway. All he wants is for you to have a heart that loves him and trusts him and obeys him as king. I love living with Jesus as my king. Because I know when he asks me to do something, it's always good and always right. And even though I don't like it, he's still right because he is the king. Let's keep reading from the Bible. Good evening, my name's John T. Um, one of the ways Jesus has impacted my life is, in Jesus I see how to love properly, I see what real love is. And so when I look at the life and the death of Jesus, my King, um, I see love as forgiving, as sacrificial, as selfless. And by his strength, um, I'm able to each day love a little bit more, um, with a little more forgiveness and a little more selflessness and a little more sacrifice, um, yeah, by his help and with his strength. We're going to be continuing to read from uh, the book of uh, Matthew, so again, chapter 2, which is page 828 in your Bibles, top of 828, chapter 2, and we'll be doing verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So you've got gold because uh, Jesus is king. The second gift is really quite bizarre. It's called frankincense, not Frankenstein, frankincense. And it's this, this sweet-smelling perfume. Uh, it's extracted from a, a tree called the Boswellia tree, and they would scrape the bark off the tree, and they get the resin, and they get this frankincense. And it would often be made into, into candles, and you burn a candle and you get this pleasant smell. Does that sound familiar? And the most common use was that they would get the, the frankincense oil. And they get the oil and they get these sticks. There's nothing new under the sun. Uh, they get these sticks and they'd have an infuser. I've got lots of these in my house and it's often in the bathrooms to, to disguise unpleasant smells. This sweet-smelling aroma of frankincense. What a strange gift for a child. The strange thing about frankincense is that it could only be burned in the temple. And it could only be burned by the high priest. And so in the temple, which is where in the Old Testament the people would come and they would bring an animal uh, for the forgiveness of their sins, in order to be forgiven by a holy God, they would... They would, they would sacrifice an animal on their behalf. And so there's lots of blood in the temple. Lots and lots and lots and lots of blood. And, and blood isn't pleasant in smell. And so they would burn incense in the temple as a sweet aroma to the Lord. But, but more than that, it was a, a, a symbol that they were in the presence of a holy God. The, the aroma that went out was saying, God is holy, and we are in the presence of a holy God. But only the high priest could burn the incense. And then Jesus stepped into the world, and he, he called himself the high priest. Uh, Hebrews 4, verse 14 says this. I love these verses. Since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let's approach God's throne of grace. That's extraordinary. Let us come near to a holy God. Let's approach God with confidence because of our high priest so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's what this incense is about. It's about Jesus being your great high priest, the one who ushers you into the presence of a holy God, the one who intercedes for you, the one who understands you, the one who knows you, who gives you this gift of prayer. My, my favorite carol is, O Holy Night. And my favorite line from my favorite carol is this. It says that the king of kings, the king of kings lay thus in lowly manger. In all our trials, born to be our friend. He knows our need. 
and our weakness is no stranger. Uh, that, that is Jesus, uh, the one who knows you. He's been tempted in every way, just like you, but he didn't sin. He understands your trials and your sufferings. Because this, this incense is actually saying to us that Jesus is not just king, but he's your friend. He's your friend. Remember the story of Misha, the eight-year-old who lived in an orphanage in Russia? And one Christmas, these, these wealthy American couple went over to this orphanage to visit the Russian orphans, and they wanted to, to know about the, the nativity story. And so they retold the story, and they had a cardboard box for stable, they had some cut-up yellow paper for the, for the hay, and they had some cotton wool for the sheep, and they had these pegs for Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. And they told this great story about how Jesus was born, and then they invited the, the, the boys and the girls to, to create their own nativity scene. But Misha's scene was, was slightly different, because in Misha's stable, in the manger, were two pegs, not one. And his couple kept on saying that there's only one baby Jesus. And Misha said, not in my nativity, there's not. This is what Misha said. It's quite profound. He said this. When Mary led the baby in the manger, Jesus looked at me and asked me if I had a place to stay. I told Jesus, no, I have no mama, I have no papa. So no, I don't have any place to stay. Then Jesus told me he'd be my friend that he loved me, that he would care for me, and I could stay with him forever. But I told Jesus I couldn't because I didn't have any gift to give him. I didn't have any gold, frankincense, or myrrh. But I wanted to stay with Jesus so much because I knew that he loved me so much. So I thought that about what I might have that I could give him as a gift. And then I thought maybe if I kept him warm, that would be a good gift. So I asked Jesus, if I keep you warm, would that be a good gift, Jesus? And Jesus said, yes. If you stay by me and keep loving me, that will be the best gift ever. So Jesus looked at me and told me I could stay with him for always. And he was always with me. And he would be my forever friend. That's why there are two babies in my manger. One is Jesus and the other is me. Because Jesus is my forever friend who is always with me. And that is true for me and for you. The Lord Jesus is your forever friend who is always with you. He never abandons you. He never abuses you. He never leaves you. He always listens to you. He's interceding for you right now on your behalf. So you can bring all your struggles and all your doubts and all your sins, past, present, and future. You can bring all your weaknesses, your fears, your sorrows. You can bring your trials, your tragedies, the big and the small. Bring all your longings. Bring it all to Jesus because he's your friend. That's what the incense is about. He's your friend. I love the, 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 uh, the Christmas card that has these two old ladies. It's, it's a real picture. Two old ladies, both in their 80s, both unmarried, and they're standing before this dilapidated farm in, in South, South Tennessee. It's a total dump. The chicken coop is falling down, the barn is falling down, the machinery is rusty, and these, these two stiff old ladies stand there smiling. And over the top says, Merry Christmas. God is with us in our mess. And that's true. 
That's Jesus. Life is messy. Your life is messy. My life is messy. Everyone's life is messy. You might still have messed up families and messed up lives, but, but Jesus is with you in your mess. That's what the frankincense is about. He's a high priest who, who knows you, who cares for you, who understands you, who never leaves you and is with you. What was his second name for Jesus? His name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We'll look at myrrh in our final talk. So let's test your memory. Gold because Jesus is... Frankincense because Jesus is your friend. Well done. I feel like a, feel like a teacher tonight. Um, I reckon the third gift is the most bizarre gift of all. It's called myrrh. Or myrrh, as English would say. It's very strange. I've got a house of um, four, four boys. I've got five boys because Tom's with us at the moment. So, house of five boys. I wonder what words you describe to use a, a house of five boys. Something in our house which is really, really helpful is this. Because deodorant masks smells. Let's be honest, we all smell. And deodorant is, you use deodorant to stop that smell. In a word, that is what myrrh is. Myrrh is a, a spice that masks smells. Uh, myrrh was from a sap of a tree. It was a, a, a bitter smell. And myrrh was used to embalm dead bodies because dead bodies rot and they start to smell, and so you'd embalm the body with, with myrrh. Remember Lazarus, when he died, he was in the, in the tomb for four days, and the authorised verse in the Bible says that after four days, he stinketh. Of course he does, because his body is rotting. Uh, when Jesus died, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and a man called Pilate took his body, prepared his body for burial, and they and they embalmed the body with myrrh. Uh, the, the women, I call them the Spice Girls, who went to the tomb that first Easter morning, they, they, they went with their, their spices to embalm the body with, with myrrh. And it's a very strange gift for a baby. I wonder how Mary felt being given a gift that's supposed to be used for dead people. The other strange thing about myrrh is that to extract the smell, you have to crush or grind the myrrh, which is exactly what happened to Jesus. They crushed him. They beat him. They pierced him and spat on him and crucified him. We're about to sing these lines. Myrrh is mine, it's bitter perfume. Breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in a stone-cold tomb. Not very cheery for Christmas, is it? But that's why Jesus came. I love the, the poem by Steve Turner. Let me read it to you. It says, Christmas is really for the children. 
especially for children who like animals and stables and stars and babies wrapped in swaddling cloths. There are wise men, kings in fine robes, humble shepherds and a hint of rich perfume. Christmas is for the children. Easter's not really for the children, unless accompanied by a cream-filled egg. Easter has whips, blood, nails, a spear and allegations of body snatching. Easter involves politics, God and the sins of the world. Easter's not good for people of a nervous disposition. They do better to think on rabbits, chickens and the first snowdrop of spring. Or they do better to wait for a rerun of Christmas without asking too many questions about what happened to that baby, what Jesus did when he grew up, or whether there's any connection. And in many ways, this gift is the connection. Because this same baby lived and then died an atrocious death and then was sealed in a tomb where his body was left to rot. But he, he defeated death. He came back to life. He, de- he, he defeated the grave. But that's why Jesus came into, into this world. It's not just to be king or friend, but to be saviour. Uh, this gift shouts, Jesus is your saviour. He is the one who is going to... Step into your place. He's the one who's going to rescue you. He's the one who's going to bring you to God and bridge that gap that you can never bridge by yourself. There's a true story of a, of a fire engine that came to a fire, but the ladder wasn't long enough. Can you imagine that? You bring a fire engine to, to rescue people trapped in the building, but the ladder isn't long enough. And they put the ladder up, but it's too short. And it's intuitive fireman had this idea he could stand on the top rung of the ladder and if he stretched up, he could just about reach the, the, the windowsill. And so he bridged the gap. And he said to the people inside the building, just, just come across my body and then you'll be safe. Use my body and you'll get to safety. And so one by one by one, all the people in that fire were rescued because they, they, they came across his body and down the ladder to safety. That's what Jesus came to do, to, to, to invite you to come across his body, to allow him to, to take your sins onto himself, to, to die in your place that you might be forgiven, you might be saved, you might be rescued, you might have a relationship with God. That's what Christmas is about. Not just God with you, but, but his name is Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And the only response to that is, wow, thank you, thank you, thank you, because I can't do it. Wow. I hope you've you've accepted his death for you, his forgiveness on your behalf. That's why he came. So gold is for king. Frankincense is for friend. Myrrh is for savior. But there's actually a fourth gift. Actually, it's the first gift, the most important gift. Because before they gave their treasures, before they gave their gifts, what did they give? Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts. Because your first gift, your most important gift is, is your worship. That's what Jesus wants from you, your worship. Uh, you know, when people visit royalty, 
when, when dignities go across the UK and meet King Charles or the late Queen Elizabeth, they always bring these gifts, which is a bit crazy, really, because what does she want? What does he want? He's got everything. But they give a gift because it's a sign of honor, a sign of respect, a sign of adoration, a sign of worship. There's a great carol that we don't sing in Australia because the title is In the Bleak Midwinter. And one of the lines says this, What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I have, I give him. I give my heart. And church, that's all Jesus wants from you this Christmas. He wants your heart. That's what worship is, is giving your heart to Jesus. It's a a heart of adoration that says, wow, Jesus, you are incredible. I love you, Jesus, because you're you're my king, my saviour, my lord. You're full of compassion and kindness and grace and mercy. Wow, Jesus, I adore you. Oh, come, let us adore him. That is worship. It's a heart of humility. The Magi got it right, that, that posture of kneeling before your king is humbling when you're on your knees because you're saying, I am not the most important person, but God is. So so worship means that you you get rid of your pride and get rid of your ego and get rid of this desire to be somebody and just fall at the feet of Jesus and say, wow, Jesus, I'm just a sinner with a glorious saviour. You are God and I am not. That is worship. It's a heart of surrender where you hold nothing back. I love that word surrender. It's saying, Jesus, you are the most precious thing to me more than anything or anyone. D.L. Moody says this, let, let God have your life. God can do more with your life than you ever can. Let God have your life because he can do more with it than you ever can. And, and that is worship. Worship is saying, Lord, here's my hands. Would you use my hands for good to help other people? to bring comfort and calm to chaos. Here's my feet. Would you, would you take me to places I, I wouldn't choose to go, and would you take me there to use, use me for good? Here's my lips. Would you use my mouth to speak words of kindness and mercy and grace and beautiful words, not words to tear people down? Here's my eyes. Would you help me to see the world as, as you see it? Here, here's my ears. Help me to... Listen to things which are noble and pure and right and good. Here I am, Lord. Here's my, my marriage, my singleness, my family, my work, my leisure, my everything about me, Lord. Here I am. That, that is worship. Worship is not what you do in church, not just what you do in church. It's just giving your whole life to Jesus. So here's my Christmas challenge. It's not about what gifts you want. It's not about who you would like to see over Christmas and who you wouldn't like to see over Christmas. It's about, will you worship Jesus? Will you give him your heart? Because he is your king. That's the gold. He's your king. So obey him. He is your friend. So trust him. He's your savior. So believe in him and worship him as your king. It's so easy to get bogged down at Christmas with 
festivity and fun and food and parties and presents. But all Jesus wants is your heart. That's the best gift that you could give Jesus Christmas is your, is your heart. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for sending your precious son, Jesus. Jesus, our king, please help us to obey him. Jesus, our friend, please help us to trust him. Jesus, our savior, please help us to believe in him. I invite you now in acquaintance of your heart just to say, here I am. Take me, Lord, and use me for your glory. So, Lord Jesus, what, what we have, we give you now. We give you our hearts. In Jesus' name.